Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Joe Brennan of the Irish Times about banker remuneration. It's a contentious issue reignited this week following the announcement of the departure of Bank of Ireland CFO Miles O'Grady for Musgrave. But I'm starting with fuel shortages in Britain and the growing number of energy companies going out of business there due to soaring wholesale gas prices. You will have seen the extraordinary footage of long queues at service station forecourts as a shortage of truck drivers impacts on fuel supplies. Now, in a couple of minutes, you'll hear from Irish Times London editor Dennis Staunton, who explains what's going on to me. But first, let's hear from Irishman Ross Hines, who owns a business in North London and is acutely impacted by the fuel shortages. My name is Ross Hines. I run a small gardening business. We're based in North London, but we work all over uh, primarily West London, so there's a lot of driving involved. Trying to get fuel where we are at the moment is impossible. Uh, I've been to maybe a dozen different petrol stations in our area today and yesterday. Uh, today, none of them have any fuel. Yesterday, there was one or two, but the queues were hours long. So at the moment, there's no more fuel. <laughs> There's definitely a sense of anger. Um, anyone I've spoken to in the last few days is stunned that it's been allowed to get this bad. Uh, and the fact that there doesn't seem to be a good solution on the horizon is really freaking people out, you know. It's a real hassle. Um, over the weekend, I spent, you know, hours of what should have been family time driving around trying to find a petrol station. Um, today I took the tube in order to save what little fuel we've got left, but we've only got enough fuel for another couple of days. So after that runs out, we're kind of in trouble. If we can't get fuel in the next few days, then we're pretty stuck. There's a few jobs we can do where we could get the tube and bring a, a few hand tools, but it's a really busy time of the year for gardeners. There's a lot of stuff to be cut back. There's a lot of leaves falling. Um, we need to bring that rubbish away. And we can't do that if we're on public transport. Um, so 
I don't know if the if if we can't get fuel this week, um, we'll have to cut hours, cut days probably. You know, it means me and my guys won't be able to to work as much. You know, we all have mortgages, we all have rent to pay, and you know, if this carries on like this, we could be in trouble. Irish Times London editor Dennis Thornton joins me now on the line to explain what's going on. Dennis Thornton, thank you for joining Inside Business. Uh, you're you're the man uh, on the ground over there, as it were. I'm sure you've seen these uh, fuel shortages up close and personal, as it were. You've heard Ross um, explain there exactly what's going on. But I, I think what a lot of Irish people don't understand is how in 21st century Britain they've ended up with shortages on their forecourts. Well, what really is happening is a number of things coming at once. Uh, there's a shortage of heavy goods vehicle drivers uh, for a start, and that's to do with various factors which we can go into. But then uh, what happened really was that uh, because they didn't have the drivers to drive the tankers to the petrol stations, uh, it was already clear in the last couple of weeks that they were running short. And so uh, there was a meeting of the uh, fuel companies, including BP. And during the course of this meeting, BP said that uh, they were going to have to close uh, a number of uh, petrol stations because of uh, this lack of supply. And this was leaked. And uh, the government is blaming the Road Haulage Association for the leak. The Road Haulage Association says it wasn't us. One way or another, the leak went out. And what happened then was that people started buying more petrol than they normally would because they suddenly thought, this is running out, there are queues, I'd better go down and do it. Now, the government calls that panic buying, but it's also fairly rational. If uh, you need petrol and you see that everybody else, uh, you know, that, that there's a shortage of it, then people do queue up. So so essentially what the government's line is, is that there is no shortage of petrol. There is enough fuel in the country. The problem has been, first of all, getting it to the petrol stations, but actually they say even that's not a problem, that actually the problem really is panic buying. And so they keep saying, don't panic, and everybody panics a bit more. And uh, so basically that's uh, that's where we are now. As of today, we're talking on Tuesday, the fuel companies and the government are both saying things are getting a little bit better, that, uh, you know, there was it was very bad at the weekend, but now there's a bit more petrol in the stations. But of course, that's also, it may be true, but it's also the message they want to get out to people, which is, don't buy any more than you need. Yeah, it's extraordinary, really. Reminiscent, perhaps, of the 70s um, during the uh, the oil um, shortages uh, back then. And it's also reminiscent of uh, something similar that happened in 2000, which was when uh, you know Tony Blair was in power. And it was exactly the same thing. And he went out and he just, with the oil companies, and he said, stop doing this, stop buying, or you're making the problem worse. And then it did go away in the end. Is this a Brexit legacy? It's partly to do with Brexit. There are a number of factors. So the holders say there's a shortage of about 100,000 drivers in Britain. And that's made up of a number of factors. One uh, of them, part of it is to do with the coronavirus pandemic. And that had two effects. One was that a lot of uh, drivers left, people who came from other countries, they just left the country because they just went back to be with their own people. So let's say they came from Poland. So that might have been about 20,000 people. Uh, you know, and then a further number would have left already because of Brexit. 
But then you also have the problem that uh, there has been a backlog of testing new drivers. So British drivers, you know, there's something like uh, 20, 30,000 of them waiting to be tested. And so what the government has done now is they brought in the army to actually organize that testing. So there's been a few factors like that. The other problem is that it's an aging profession. Most of them are uh, over 50. It's, you know, it's a pretty tough life. The pay is not great. It's obviously going up, but still uh, a lot of people have just left the business. And so, again, one of the things that the government's been doing is it's writing to all these people who have an HGV license and saying, come back in because you could uh, earn a bit more money than, than you used to be able to. But Brexit is also a factor insofar as if you are, say, a Polish driver who has left, coming back in here is now more difficult because, you know, basically low-skilled and low-paid workers are, uh, you know, find it more difficult to get visas. Now, what the government again has done is that it says it's going to introduce this temporary three-month visa for 5,000 people from Europe uh, starting in October. But given that there's a bit of a shortage of drivers all over Europe, and given that it's only for three months, and that you have to kind of go through all these hoops, and you have to go and find a place to live, uh, it's not clear how many people are going to, you know, jump at that particular opportunity. And also 5,000 just isn't enough. Now, in parallel with this, we've also seen a lot of energy companies in Britain going out of business, essentially, and rising gas prices, which is a phenomenon not just in Britain, but elsewhere too, including in Ireland. Uh, what's going on there, Dennis? Well, again, as you say, it's a, it's a phenomenon that's, uh, that we've seen elsewhere as well. Britain has a particular problem because of the fact uh, there are two problems. One is they keep uh, a very low level of storage of supplies, of reserves. And so in many European countries, they'd have a few months gas uh, you know, in reserve. Here, it's only a few days. And so that gives you know, a much smaller buffer. The other thing is that they are dependent on other countries, the interconnector from France for an awful lot of their energy. And so they're much more vulnerable in that respect as well. And then the third factor was that a lot of these small companies came in offering, uh, you know, people special deals. So if you were with one of the big companies, you know, uh, save yourself a load of money by switching and as people are constantly advising each other to do. Uh, but their business model was based on gas prices remaining pretty low. And so suddenly they uh, found that the money they were charging, you know, these deals that they had given people, uh, they were they just didn't work for them. So they, uh, you know, basically have gone out of business and others have threatened to go out of business. And so, uh, you know, so the, the so their, their customers are now going to have to go to the bigger gas companies and the government is going to have, have to help out the gas companies in terms of how they, they deal with that. And Dennis, what about the political fallout from all of this? Because uh, Boris is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's quite a, an ebullient uh, type of character. How is he dealing with this? What's his plan to solve these problems? Well, he hasn't really been very visible. The thing about Boris Johnson is that he's, uh, he's very much a prime minister for good times. He's good at delivering good news. And he is really not great when there's bad news. So, for example, when the coronavirus pandemic was going badly, he was not a reassuring figure uh, to, to most people. And in the same way, I mentioned Tony Blair being able to get on the front foot by making this press conference, giving this press conference, you know, shoulder to shoulder with the fuel companies and, and telling people what the situation was, what their role, uh, the public's role was in making it better or worse. And people believed him because they actually felt he was running a government that worked and he had a certain credibility. The problem that Boris Johnson has is that there are lots of things in Britain 
Britain that are not working very well. And that Boris Johnson himself has a credibility problem. A lot of people like him, but they don't necessarily believe everything he says. And so that is a problem where he's concerned. The government is also very, very keen to stress that this is not because of Brexit. And yet it's quite clear that to some extent it is. You know, it may not be solely about Brexit. And as I said, there are a number of different factors playing into this. But uh, you know, there's also a credibility problem when you say it has absolutely nothing to do with it, because you also have, you've got labour shortages in all kinds of places. So you've got fruit and vegetables rotting in the soil because there's nobody to pick them. And that, again, is because of a lack of workers from outside. You've got restaurants that are closing or can't reopen because they have no workers. And so what, uh, you know, what the government says is, well, you know, uh, businesses should hire British people and pay them more. But the problem is, Wages go up, but prices are going up as well. And inflation uh, is, is jumping upwards here. And so an awful lot of the pay rises are going to be wiped out by inflation. So it is a political problem for him. And it's, you know, it's something that, again, if you go back to that Tony Blair time in 2000, it was the only time throughout his entire tenure in office that he fell behind the Conservatives was during that fuel crisis. People really don't like having to queue for petrol. And so, uh, you know, and like what Ross was saying in your clip earlier on, those people who depend on driving for their work, they're in a really uh, you know, pretty awful state. And I was talking to uh, to a driver, a guy who, work, who drives for a living. And so he has to basically get about £30 worth of petrol every day just to keep going. And so he's constantly queuing. He said it's extremely aggressive at some of these places because, uh, you know, with drivers trying to cut in in front of each other or just the system not really working and people really getting into kind of spats with each other. So it's a very unpleasant situation. So if, as the government says, things are easing up and they're all going to get better in the next few days, that's fine. If they don't, and if this thing continues to, to create more problems, because it's not just people who drive for a living, but you now have people like, Prison officers, the Prison Officers Association said yesterday, people can't get to work to the prisons because they can't drive. You've got healthcare workers. There's talk now of that you'd, you'd set up special petrol stations just for key workers. Uh, because, again, the whole thing, the whole system starts to crumble if people can't get to where they need to get to. Now, you're at the Labour Party annual conference in Brighton. Is there political gain for Keir Starmer and the Labour Party in all of this? Well, there ought to be, but the problem is that the Labour Party conference has been dominated by the Labour Party fighting with itself. And so Keir Starmer taking on the left of the party with all kinds of things about changing the rules as about how uh, the next leader is elected. Things that the public doesn't care all that much about, frankly. They're now in, engaged in a, in a row over the minimum wage and some on the left of the party wanted to go up to £15 an hour. Keir Starmer is resisting that. But all the time, they really ought to be talking about what everybody at home is talking about, which is the fuel shortage. And they ought to be capitalising on it. But they haven't been. Now, maybe, you know, he gives his final speech tomorrow. Maybe he'll do it then. But it looks like, from here, it looks like a bit of a missed opportunity. And just finally, Dennis, how's the British economy doing sort of uh, as we come out of the pandemic? Because Britain opened up uh, a little bit earlier than, than Ireland. How's it been going over there? Well, it seemed to uh, to take off a little bit, but then suddenly it went flat. And so that, like the figures say for July, it seemed to, to kind of grind to a standstill a bit. And part of that was, I think, that at the time that they opened up, 
there was also a big spike in infections and people suddenly got a bit nervous. And so a lot of the people who were going out started to not go out. They've started to go again, but there's also been quite a lot of restrictions on travel. And so the tourist business has not come back. And so there are quite, you know, so in a way that advantage, I think they thought that they would have by opening up earlier than everybody else, that doesn't seem to have happened. And so if you look at, say, what's happening in Ireland or what's happening in the rest of Europe, that first of all, uh, they've caught up or surpassed Britain in terms of the number of vaccinated, but also just that economic bounce uh, that Britain, I think, hoped for, it just didn't quite, it didn't quite do it. You know, like everywhere else, people have got money to spend and they're starting to spend it, but it just doesn't seem to have quite happened yet. Okay, we'll leave it there. Dennis Staunton in Brighton. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take a short break now. When I return, I'll be talking to Joe Brennan of the Irish Times about banker pay and bonuses. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Now, this week, Bank of Ireland announced the departure of Miles O'Grady as Chief Financial Officer. He's moving to a senior role in Musgrave. And he's the latest in a growing list of senior executives to leave the domestic Irish banks in recent years for better paid jobs elsewhere amid government pay restrictions and an effective ban on bonuses. Joining me now to explain the backdrop to this is Joe Brennan, markets correspondent of the Irish Times. Now, Joe Brennan, thank you for joining us. Before we get into the Miles O'Grady case, just remind us what rules are in place around banker bonuses for Irish banks, when they were introduced and why. Yeah, so um, I suppose we step back to uh, early 2009, a few months after the the government guaranteed the banks, there was a report done in terms of uh, remuneration across the banks and it recommended that uh, there be a ban on bonuses and also that there would be a 500,000 cap on the pay of most CEOs. There was a higher cap, I think the higher recommendation for AIB and Bank of Ireland. But Bank of Ireland ended up being on the, the higher rate, whereas the, the 500,000 applied to most. The government of 2010 moved after there was a case where a group of uh, capital markets uh, executives who had been due a bonus on profits in 2008, they took a case against AIB and it was clear at that stage that the, 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 the bonus would have to be paid out. And this obviously was around the time that Ireland was entering into a, an international bailout due to the, the, the cost of bailing out the banks. And the minister of the day, uh, Brian Lenhan, decided to introduce a an 89% uh, levy on bankers' bonuses, which basically was a prohibitive levy on bonuses, which effectively banned bonuses across the board, above 20,000, a bonus of above 20,000 euros. So that's remained in place. That's been in a finance bill back in 2011. And that's remained in place up until today. Um, there's been a few moves. We saw... We saw in 2014, we saw um, the then chairman of AIB, David Hodgkinson, uh, go into the Department of Finance and argue that the bonus ban should be lifted. We had AIB at that stage heading towards an IPO and the government started getting some of its money back. That was turned down immediately by the, the government and AIB kind of kept quiet on it. It was highlighted as an issue in the prospectus around the time of AIB's IPO in 2017, we returned to the, the, the main stock markets in, in Dublin and London. And then it was highlighted again in 20, 
Early 2018, when AIB said in its annual report at that stage that it was going to put forward a vote on returning uh, to uh, bonuses tied to the kind of EBA rules, kind of more restrictive bonus kind of uh, rules that have been brought in by the European Banking Authority post the crash. So at that stage, it became very political and the, the finance minister, Pascal Donoghue, uh, decided to vote against the plan by AIB to reintroduce a, a bonus plan for executives. And he decided to bring in Corn Ferry to write a report on remuneration in general. That was kind of like, a, I suppose, a delaying tactic, which allowed him to take ownership of the, the whole area of remuneration, rather than have a bank that was majority owned take this to investors and put it up to the minister. Now, that report was written and was submitted. There was a draft report, at least in, in late 2018, going into 2019, and that has never seen the light of day, but we understand that that is supposed to have uh, recommended a relaxation of the re- remuneration restrictions for banks. At the same time, the government got uh, cover from the central bank, from Philip Lane, the uh, previous uh, governor of the central bank, before he left office in the middle of 2019, saying that there was merit, I think he said, in allowing more enhanced flexibility with regard to remuneration across the banks. And obviously, during this time, we've seen a number of senior executives uh, leave uh, senior posts in the various banks. Hodgkinson, back in 2014, he subsequently lost his his CEO, uh, David Duffy, went on to uh, Clydesdale in Yorkshire, the second CEO, Bernard Byrne, left. He went to uh, Davy, and his finance chief, uh, Mark Burke, left as well to go to a, a, a Portuguese bank. Yeah, and now we have Miles O'Grady of Bank of Ireland, uh, the chief financial officer there, deciding to take a position which we can only assume is uh, much more, much better remunerated as uh, Musgrave, the Irish food wholesaler and, and retail group. Um, and Francesca McDonough has had something to say about that, hasn't she? Um, she she has been definitely uh, pointing the finger at at the bonus issue and the cap on remuneration as a as a real problem for retaining staff. Yeah, I suppose Bank of Ireland kind of let AIB do the running for a lot of the time post the the, the crash in terms of grabbing the headlines when it comes to the emotive issue of, of banker bonuses. But they've also lost. This is the second time that Francesca McDonald, the CEO of Bank of Ireland, has seen a CFO walk into her office, now probably virtually at this stage because we're in a hybrid world. But um, this is the second time in the, in the last two and a half years she's seen the CFO walk into the office and actually decide to, re- to resign. The previous incumbent, Andrew Keating, has gone on to presumably a much higher paying job in CRH and Miles O'Grady presumably is going to a much higher paid job as well in Musgraves and also both are going to jobs where you're under less scrutiny, public scrutiny, because aside from shareholder scrutiny, taxpayers own large states in the banks and they're, they're, they're held up to a, a lot of scrutiny themselves, public scrutiny as, as because taxpayers believe that they have understandably um, a, a stake in the banks. Yeah, now it's a bit ironic that she's doing that because she her salary is actually outside the half a million cap that's currently in play. I mean, her salary is what, €950,000? That's the basic, yeah. So again, Bank of Ireland remained outside of the uh, the, the 500 cap, uh, 500,000 uh, pay cap. Bank of Ireland, because it's majority owned by the stock market investors, has been able to get around the whole uh, 500,000 cap for the CEO position. I suppose... 
the bank and AIB would say it's less an issue about the salary for the CEO. It's more about people below that. And the argument they're making is people look at banks are, while they've been letting go, uh, they're in the middle of letting go thousands of people. They are hiring in the areas of IT and digital and compliance and risk. And these are areas where they're competing not only with other companies, but they're also competing with uh, PLCs and fintechs and technology companies. And the argument they would make is that they are finding it difficult to uh, not only attract, but also retain uh, people in those positions. Now, if you're on the outside looking in, um, and particularly for ordinary taxpayers, they might say, well, €531,000, which was the remuneration for Miles O'Grady, it's a pretty handsome remuneration compared to most people. And also, Joe... Does it really make any difference if somebody uh, like that leaves the bank? Because you mentioned AIB and the changes we've seen at CEO level. Is AIB worse off? Has it been a, a worse performing bank under Colin Hunt than it was under Bernard Byrne? Or was it worse performing under Bernard Byrne than it was under David Duffy? Um, I can't say you, say you can say that. What they are saying is that they are struggling to get people in at certain levels in the kind of areas of uh, digital IT. Now, obviously, we're seeing exits at C-suite as well. I don't see any evidence of any worse performance from one CEO to the next, but we are finding it more difficult. It's taking longer for the, the banks to find people for, for senior positions. And often it's the case of having to hire internally. You have another issue around the whole area of fitness and probity. You have one issue trying to get someone to join the bank, deal with the, the, the pay restrictions as they are. You have to imagine that it's easier for someone within a bank to move up. But also you have the issue of uh, fitness and probity, the, uh, the, the vetting uh, process by the central bank uh, for people in senior positions as well. Yeah, I mean, you have a situation with permanent TSB um, since Eamon Crowley um, stepped up from the position of CFO in June of last year to the CEO position. Um, and permanent TSB has been without a permanent CFO uh, ever since then. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, it's within the political gift to change these rules, obviously. And we have, you know, a newish government in place since that Corn Ferry report was uh, commissioned and produced. Um, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party have joined Fianna Gael in government. So what are the chances of the bonus rules being relaxed? I'd say slim to none. You have a pretty noisy Oireachtas at the moment. You have a lot of other issues on the agenda rather than bringing a proposal to, because it'll, it'll require a finance minister bringing a proposal to get past the Oireachtas in terms of removing the, uh, the, 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 the prohibitive 89% uh, levy on, on bonuses. I can't see that happening and for, for the foreseeable future, uh, not least because we're still dealing with the tracker crisis. We still have AIB and Bank of Ireland going through enforcement proceedings with the central bank in terms of how they behave during the, the tracker crisis. It's very hard to see anyone in Parliament voting for a uh, return uh, to uh, variable pay for, for, for bankers, well, that's still outstanding. A potential way of, of maybe dealing with it, you have the senior executive accountability regimes, which will make it easier for the central bank to fine and ban uh, individual uh, senior bankers for uh, failings under their watch. There could be a possibility of maybe introducing it at that stage, where you have the, the, the stick, obviously, in terms of the new legislation, and maybe the cart in terms of a return to some degree of, of, of variable pay. Joe Brennan, a very comprehensive summing up there of the issues around banker bonuses in Ireland at the moment. Thank you for that.
Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Dennis Staunton, Ross Hines and Joe Brennan. The show was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.